Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, everybody out there, and welcome to another edition of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before, with insight from some of the best in the business of reality television, documentary series, competition shows, social experiment, true crime, and much more. From Bar Rescue to Botched, to Love is Blind, to The Shape of Pasta. If it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 15-year veteran producer of unscripted television with shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughtered, The Rachel's O Project, and Pros vs. Joes, among my credits. Each week, I talk to the talented people who make reality television, documentaries, true crime, and game shows not just something you watch, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe, download, and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All right, let's get started. Today, my guest is an Emmy Award-winning producer and a seasoned, talented development executive. During his time at Spike TV, he was part of some of the biggest hits at the network like Ink Master and Bar Rescue. And currently, he is the co-president of Ugly Brother Studios with his twin brother, Mike, where they have produced shows like Shape of Pasta for Quibi, the multi-Emmy-winning and James Beard-nominated Eat the World with Emerald Lagasse for Amazon, Top Elf for Nickelodeon, Ron Funch's Giggle Fit, for Comedy Central, the Comedy Jam for Comedy Central as well, House of Food for MTV, Life or Debt for Spike, Startup You for Freeform, Win, Lose, or Fail for History Channel. Please welcome Tim Duffy. Tim, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Great to hear your voice, my friend. It has been a while. It has. It has. Well, the whole world is um, kind of a mess right now, um, but your company, Ugly Brother Studios, uh, that you, you run with your twin brother is is busy amidst all this chaos. Can you tell me a little bit about how you guys are dealing with this pandemic and, and how you're pushing through? Yeah, so wait, there's a pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, God, I've just been stuck inside for five months. Yeah, I know, I right? I didn't know there was anything going on. I know, the, um, the shades were down, you know, you're just baking bread like everybody else, right? everything's fine. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> you know, we have been blessed with the trust of two networks so far who are allowing us to get into production. The first is Netflix um, nice. in, for, for an unannounced show. So I can't really talk. The show involves some travel and, and it involves some food. Nice. Um, we were able to build out a protocol with our head of production, uh, Carrie Paul. Um, that is pretty robust. I mean, we feel as if it's best in class, um, <clears throat> especially because the class hasn't really started yet. I mean, we're really yeah. just getting out there. But you know, uh, it's a it's a great protocol. It, it involves uh, a very, very, very specific set of guidelines that are informed yeah. by the CDC and informed, of course, by. Netflix's incredibly robust analysis of what's going on in the world and their advice that's coming from some of the top doctors in the world. And that advice rained down into our protocol and got us back into production. Yeah. So we're stoked about that. Uh, I literally just got back uh, to my home um, after several weeks on the road, directing the first couple of episodes. And then for our other series, it's with uh, Nickelodeon, um, nice. season two, season two of Top Elf, great, um, which is a Christmas competition series. Uh, I don't want to brag, but we got Santa, we got Santa, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. exclusive, an exclusive yeah. on Santa. Yeah, he's a close personal friend. Um, <laughs> my kids think I'm a rock star. Uh, working with Netflix and working with Nickelodeon. Frankly, it's, you know, two best in class uh, aggregators who have been nothing short of phenomenal to work with over the past couple of years. And we're excited to get back in the get get our shows in the can and into post so that the world can have its appetite served up. I think 
aggregators are running out of content, man. We gotta, we gotta give them, we gotta give the viewers what they want, right? This is true. Are you finding that with your, the people who are doing shows for you guys and just amongst the people on set and whatnot, that there is kind of that unity in just, we've got to get this done because it's the work that matters? Uh, absolutely. Um, I will say this prior to um, production on our, our current um, series, um, I had had a one final kind of conversation with the entire uh, cast and crew. So it was like, a, you know, the Zoom kind of setup that we're all used to. And I straight up said everybody, I go, if you're not into these protocols, um, honestly, just tell me now. I understand there are swirling protocols all the, all over the world. I think uh, I understand that there are folks who are debating the, the valid, uh, the validity of wearing masks and testing. And there are all these swirling protocols. Well, this is our protocol. So you are either on the bus or you are off the bus. So you need to let me know if you're not on this bus with this team of people who are all committed to your safety and to the safety of the group. And literally an hour later, one of our PAs called up our line producer and goes, I thought I was going to be able to travel and have a ton of fun. This does not sound like the show for me. So we said, all good. Thank you so much for being honest about it and respectful of the other human beings that you were, you were going to be working with. And we replaced them, put that person into isolation for three days, had them tested, got them out in the field. They're still out in the field. And the team is going great, going strong. And it's great that you guys basically made that statement. We got to be all in. And that's because that's the only way really to be successful, right? Our perspective on this wasn't just about our business. It wasn't sure. just about getting these shows off the ground. It was about getting a system in place that would allow the entertainment industry at large uh, to gain confidence. So that we don't know how long this is going to be happening. Correct. Um, if all of us want jobs, we got to figure this out. And, and honestly, and I've said this for a couple of months now, if you put TV producers in charge of getting kids back to school, those kids will be back to school right now. They Absolutely. Systems that would keep kids safe. We would figure it out. Um, and and then, you know, to me, that's, I, I think, what is, what is that? That shines a light on how professional uh, the entertainment industry is and how professional the folks that we have grown up working around, you and I, right, for yeah. the past 20 years or so. These folks know what they're doing. They're smart people. I agree a thousand percent. I've been saying that since day one of this pandemic, watching people fumble with PPE and trying to get you know, masks to people. I want, when I did extreme makeover home edition, I watched a thousand people each week come together to build a house in a week. I've seen yeah. as have you producers pull off the impossible, but it's because we know how to work together. We know logistics, we know people and unscripted. So yes, my friend, I agree with you. Your uh, employees, your colleagues at ugly brother are fortunate um, that you are guiding them in this uh, tough period. I read an article in Real Screen um, about mindfulness that you wrote. And um, that is something that's very important to you. Can you talk a little bit about the training that you're, do that you're giving um, in terms of mindfulness and what that means to you? Sure, brother. Yeah, um, look, uh, I, I, you know, I've, I've been a meditator since I was 18 years old. I'm 46 this year. So it's, it's been a while. I started practicing mindfulness about 15 years ago, which is a, a, a specific kind of meditation. And it frankly changed my life. It allowed me to uh, engage with the realities uh, of, uh, of life, of the, you know, the, they call them the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows, right? The big ups, the big downs, the big swings, when you get kicked in the balls and you win the Emmy, right? Like this is life. Yeah. Um, what's been very interesting, certainly uh, over the past four or five months since this all began, is folks are stuck inside. They're stuck without the ability to walk into the office next door and commiserate with their buddy or to go have that drink with their friend after set, right? We don't have all of the systems around us that help us uh, navigate through the more difficult times in life. Uh, and we also don't have the systems around us that allow us to co-celebrate the joys of life. 
what happened was I had hosted a, uh, a mindfulness training a couple of years back at Real Screen in New Orleans. Uh, it was like a Tuesday at 8 a.m., uh, which was not a primo slot in New Orleans. Uh, was, <laughs> no, you know, no. Most people were out partying until four in the morning. But for the hundred or so people that showed up, I was so impressed. Um, yeah. You know, they rolled in bleary eyed and it was a great, it was just a great opportunity to share um, these methods with folks who are just like me, right? Folks that are yeah. working in our business and enduring all the trials and tribulations of what it's like to have a job in entertainment. And then Real Screen Magazine, when the uh, pandemic happened, uh, they just reached out and said, hey, would you be interested in writing a little article on mindfulness? So I did. And it's called Mindfulness in the Time of COVID. And, you know, it, it, essentially it was just, you know, me kind of conferring back to, to readers what I've learned about mindfulness and how kind of simple of a, a, an addition it is to a person's life um, that really just allows you to be here now, to, to be present, to be in a space of what some have called non-judgmental present time awareness. And it may sound confusing like a bunch of jumbled up words, but if we kind of deconstruct it, you know, we live in a state of planning. We live in a state of regretting. Um, the only place we can really, truly uh, live is here, right now, in this moment. Yeah. And what mindfulness does is it allows us to be here in this body, in this mind, in this heart, and live more completely without uh, getting pulled into the plan, planning of the future and the regrets of the past. Give me an example of like how mindfulness has really helped you, uh, you know, in a certain situation, maybe overcome a stressful moment or a stressful time uh, in your life. Absolutely. So, um, you know, at the uh, from a therapeutic standpoint, uh, mindfulness can help ease the uh, the difficulty of anxiety. It's faster than taking a Xanax, frankly. It takes you about a half an hour. For the yeah. Xanax to take to take shape, and then oh, what about the addiction on the other side? Um, by the way, I mean speaking from a guy who you know loves to pop a Xanax before he gets on a ten-hour flight, because right? um, <laughs> yeah. I do food and travel shows and like right, you know. yeah. Uh, so anyway, you know, there's the therapeutic, uh, immediately useful side of uh, mindfulness that I employ all the time. So. Uh, you know, there's that moment, right? When you, um, as a, a person who creates shows uh, for a living, 99 out of 100 times, I'm getting a pass call, not a pickup call. Yeah. Right? They're, they're yeah. calling to say no. They're not calling to say yes. 99 sure. out of 100 times, right? You could turn dark, man. You could start to turn against the world around you because that feels like so much negativity coming in, right? They, it, it, the, the negative thoughts, the animosity towards the outside world, towards the buyers, um, towards yourself starts to build up, right? Well, these are just thought patterns. These are just habits of mind that are inspired by, uh, you know, the reality of what it's like to pitch shows. You, you fail more than you succeed. So, okay, let's imagine that moment when you've spent a year developing this project and you've pitched it seven times and this is the last network uh, that's an option for you because the other six networks have passed. The phone rings um, or you get that text message or the Zoom happens, network executive gets on the other side and they say, you know what? Uh, we took it back to the group. Um, there was this and that and the other thing, but at the end, we're going to pass. I honestly uh, can tell you that that is a moment where there is a cornucopia of things happening in my mind, right? Yeah. That include sure. F you, you're an idiot, right? Or <laughs> um, you have no idea what you're doing. Uh, who are you to tell me, right? These are just like crazy thoughts that frankly don't mean anything. Um, I've been in that situation so many times and I've employed this technique. It's a very simple technique. Put your feet on the ground. You feel the weight of your feet on the ground. What does it feel like to have your feet on the ground? That is 
mindfulness. You're simply bringing your awareness to a place that you want it to be. Um, and, and in essence, what you're doing every time you do that is you're retraining the circuitry of the mind. Um, you're retraining your perspective on life and your habit patterns to drop away from the discursive uh, animosity-laden thoughts, which are not actually true. And you drop down from those thoughts and you drop into the body. And a really safe place to be if you have anxiety or if you have anger issues, a really safe place to be um, is in your feet. Uh, if you have the ability to do so, you drop your awareness into your feet. You feel the, the, the weight of your body being supported by your feet, where you feel your feet firmly planted on the ground. And something magical happens. Um, you start to calm down. Your nervous system starts to settle a little bit. The anger begins to subside. Uh, you may not be listening still to the network executive passing on your show. <laughs> but what it does is it gives you that incredible opportunity to recognize the gap between um, actions and words um, and the emotion that precedes them, right? If, when we act and speak in ways that are uh, harmful to ourselves and others, it, nothing good happens. Yeah. Um, when we recognize the gap that exists between the emotional response, um, and those kind of thought patterns that emerge and the action um, or, the, or the words, when you recognize the gas, gap that exists between those two things, you're able to act in wiser ways uh, that are more beneficial to you and to the people around you. So that's really what mindfulness does, is it just gives you a bit of space um, between the thing that could create much more harm for you and others and the emotion itself. And you can do that with anything. There, you know. You do it by just listening, right? Yeah. You know, if we just stop for a second and listen, and just hear, you know, you just hear the sound of my voice right now. That's a great example of pitching the same show seven times and hearing that last no. That, that can hit you like a punch in the gut. So. Oh, uh, it's the it's honestly devastating, right? It can be devastating. It feels devastating in the moment, but then you look back on all the brilliant shows that, you know, that Steve, that you have created, the shows that I've created that never saw the light of day, right? Yeah. It feels a little frustrating, but the truth is, it's like, how, how bad was it that right. they never got picked up? How right. bad was it? Right. It wasn't that bad, man. You just move on to the next project. And that, that's, what I, that's what I mean about it. This, this business of ours is so intense. There's so many big swings. There's... There's so many joys and so many sorrows. There's so much critique and there's so much praise. You know, to be uh, swinging wildly between the extremes that this business has to offer only creates uh, a, a life that feels out of control. Our job is to really find a path that is able to uh, stay in the middle and recognize that these big waves come and then they go. Sometimes the sea is calm, sometimes it is not. How do we stay grounded? How do we stay present? How do we stay kind? Listen up, everybody. We all know summer is over and fall is upon us. With so much changing, it's increasingly difficult to find that extra time for you, the time you need to take care of yourself and look your best. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. We all want to do that. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes. It visibly reduces wrinkles, fine lines, and even under eye bags in minutes. And the results will last for hours. You can try a six application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit triplexiderm.com and use the code BLEAV. B-L-E-A-V. Again, that's triplexiderm.com and use the code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, at checkout. Make those wrinkles, lines, and under-eye bags disappear with Plexiderm.
let's take a, a step back just for a second. And I want to talk about your career as an executive at Spike, which is where we met. Um, you were overseeing pros versus Joes. Tell me a little bit about, you know, Spike was such a great network and you were a big part of its emergence. You and Sharon Levy, you know, another fantastic executive who's now at uh North America. Talk a little bit about those days when you saw the network go from really in its infancy, right? You were there in the early times and then to really becoming, you know, the, the network of Bar Rescue and Ink Master, Ultimate Fighter and where people were going, you know, a lot of guys were going for great entertainment and what that was like to be at Spike during those times. First of all, what, you know, some of the most enjoyable experiences in my career centered around, frankly, working with you, brother. Back in the day on Pros vs. Joes, we had such a good time, man. And you were, uh, we, were we were both kind of babies back then. I don't yeah. Know 12 years ago. Yeah, it was. Um, but we were making great, great content, working with, you know, some of the biggest name athletes on planet Earth. Um, it was just a blast, man. We're so lucky to have these jo- <laughs> these jobs and to have, have that kind of stuff to kind yeah. of point back towards and go, yeah, that was cool. Um, but I opened up the West Coast office for Spike TV at that time. It was like six months after they had changed it from TNN, uh, which was originally like the Nashville network. Right, or something, yeah. Yeah. to Spike TV, and the whole world was like, Spike TV, what's that? That's a terrible <laughs> name for a network. Um, yeah. And, you know, it was, it kind of was at that time, but it got everybody's attention. And it was an interesting gig for me because I come from musical theater. Um, before I worked in entertainment, I was, uh, I worked in special education. Um, you know, I, I was anything but like, the guy's guy yeah um so i had to kind of study the guy the guy's guy i had to study you know what men wanted uh out of their content i honestly was not watching a lot of male skin content back then um and a lot of our success that's a lot of my success at spike tv was based off of just studying the viewer and their viewing habits and where we started to really succeed was when we infused this notion of, um, you know, added value, shall we say, to the content that we were delivering back then. But Spike first started as like a network for what I used to say, fuck some women and explosions. And they thought, they were like, of course, that's what men want. They just want right. boobs and explosions. Yeah. And they, it turns out, even then you could get that on the internet. Um, you know, and they were incorrect. Uh, men want to be entertained, uh, and informed. They want to kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. Uh, you know, all we have to do is look at the success of history channel, uh, and discovery channel, especially back then to understand that that is true. What we recognize as an opportunity for us was we have, a we had an opportunity back then to be, uh, commercially forward, to be more entertainment forward uh, than those networks were being back then. And that resulted in a body of work that, you know, I'm, I'm still proud of to this day. You know, we had shows like A Thousand Ways to Die, which was in essence, uh, you know, the science of death through this yeah. macabre, <laughs> this macabre lens that was really, really well written. That was produced by someone you might know named Tom Beers. Tom Beers, yep. We had a show that was, uh, you know, that, that, that was a little, a little less classy, something I didn't want my mom to know I was making called Mansers, which was like, <laughs> you've got questions, we've got Mansers. And really it was like information packaged in a really fun, entertaining way, uh, you know, for idiots. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. Yeah. Which, you know, every young man is an idiot. Uh, so that show did really well. And then, you know, Pros versus Joes came along and you were able to kind of gain access to these huge name celebrity athletes in ways that you would never have been able to gain it before. And while also seeing them kick the asses of like regular people like you and me. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. e- easily, by the way, one of the most irresponsible shows I've ever watched. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Very irresponsible <laughs> to put an average person against Bill Romanowski. Yeah, dude, dude. Yeah, 
Well, Bob Sapp, remember, uh, and, and Randy Couture, Randy Couture. Oh, Randy, like oh putting, my God. Yeah. Like, hey, here's a 155-pound accountant from Connecticut. <laughs> We're going to put you right. in a kickboxing match with the six foot seven, 350-pound MMA legend. Exactly. Bob, yeah. Bob Sapp, who literally kicked that dude in the head in the Rose Bowl. And like it was the shot heard around the world. Like everyone was like, "Our careers are over. That man is dead." <laughs> I don't ever want to do anything like that ever again. It was ridiculously irresponsible. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. I mean, yeah. We put somebody in the ring with Roy Jones Jr. I was like, oh. I was like "Are we just looking around at each other? Like, are we sure about this? Are we? We are okay. We're doing this. Yeah, we sure. we did it." We did it. We did I, don't, it. I honestly, it was so fun, but like, we did it. Yeah. Dude, there's no way I would do that show today. No oh way. Oh my God. No one would let us do that show, I don't think. I, I think you're think. right about that. Not in that iteration. Yeah. Are you disappointed with what has happened at Spike Now Paramount uh, since you left? I'm frankly more disappointed with what has happened at Viacom over the years. Uh, I think the current team of executives at Viacom inherited a period of time between MTV Networks, which was like the Judy McGrath, Doug Herzog era, uh, and and today, uh, that where the business was just horribly mismanaged. Um, there was this legacy brand, MTV Networks was... You know, they were tastemakers in the yeah. entire entertainment industry sure. for years and years and years. Uh, and then new management came in, uh, replaced uh, the, 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 you know, the, the legends that had built the brands within MTV Networks, which, by the way, I mean, just, you know, we're talking about MTV itself. We're talking about uh, VH1. We're talking about Comedy Central. You know, these are incredibly strong brands that had years and years and years of success. Um, and in, in essence, what happened in the late 2000s was a new executive came in and uh, at the helm, and he was a, a Wall Street guy. And the, the brand of MTV Networks and the ethos of MTV Networks went from being a leader in the cultural conversation, you know, from, you know, things like get out the vote, um, uh, gay rights, the gay rights uh, 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 agenda, uh, the diversity agenda um, that was, you know, that saturated all of our perspectives sure. as network executives. It was really important to us that we <clears throat> that we are leading the conversation uh, for the next generation uh, with regard to these really important topics. And then a new team of folks basically from Wall Street came in and said, yeah, that stuff <laughs> is cool, but you know what's cooler? Quarter to quarter growth, yeah. year to year growth. And what they started doing is they started robbing Peter to pay Paul. They, they ceased investing in original programming. They stopped being a leader in the conversation and basically just ruined um, a lot of some of the strongest and, and, and I think most important brands in the entertainment in industry in general. Uh, I think what's happened with Viacom and, and, the, and the current folks who are running Viacom is they inherited a poorly run company. Um, I think they're, they're trying to right the ship. It's unfortunate that they're trying to right the ship during a time when uh, the entire cable industry is in the throes of, of yeah. its own demise. Sure. Death, uh, if they can't figure out how to uh, refashion their uh, their relationship to their viewers, um, cable is a dying beast unless they can figure it out. I think the folks that are at the helm right now are doing a, a much better job than the folks that that uh, uh, that came in and, and ruined MTV Networks, uh, also known as Viacom. Uh, I think Viacom's probably headed in the right direction with the current team of folks. They're leaner, they're meaner, they're more aggressively developing and pursuing content that that matters across their brands. So we'll see it. We'll see where it all goes. I mean, nobody knows, man. Nobody yeah. knows. And all it takes for any given network or any platform is one show. 
Sure. But you better have another one to back it up when that one show runs out of episodes. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting you bring up kind of the business and, and where we're headed. Ugly Brother, you guys do business with a lot of different people. Quibi, Amazon, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, History Channel, wide array of businesses. And we're, you know, as cable struggles, we have the streaming wars, the emergence of Peacock and HBO Max. Obviously, you have Facebook Watch and Snapchat, Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. Um, how are you guys approaching this kind of wild west of entertainment? This is still just a marketplace. We are living in a marketplace. There are um, buyers and then there are sellers. And to approach the marketplace from the perspective of trying to please all the buyers as a seller is a terrible way to enter into the marketplace. Um, we, uh, over the past eight years since we launched our company, my brother and I, who by the way, thank God, uh, was killing it as a seller before I left the network life. Right. Um, we partnered up and he had already been selling shows for you know 12 years or whatever, and very successfully. So I kind of came from this network gig and all of a sudden was smacked in the face with no one giving a shit about me anymore, right? It's like, as a network executive, they do care about me. Um, you know, and the truth is, no, they don't. Um, they want to sell you shows, um, which, you know, they care about you outside the context of selling shows, especially if you have long-term relationships with folks. But when you're in the moment um, and you're trying to get a, a show sold, they're going to smile and treat you great and they're going to take you out to drinks and all that stuff and you're going to feel loved, right? And that yep. feels really good. That's really good. The smack in the face was watching that love kind of <laughs> disappear yep. as I re-emerged as a seller. Um that being said, sorry that I digress. I, you know, the how do we approach this market? We approach it from uh, the perspective of two things. Number one, what do we love to do? What do my brother and I? What fascinates us? What what makes us um, so interested that it's going to pull us away from spending all the time that we want to spend with our families, right? And number two. What are, what's our area of expertise? What are our areas of expertise? Those two factors govern our approach to the marketplace. Um, so what we've settled in on as a company is like, we're not the company that's going to do true crime. Yeah. I don't want to be stuck in an edit bay looking at grisly murder photos all day long. I've, I've actually done that yeah. and it, for like a year of my life. I was like, you know, this is, this is not good. I I need to drop out of my head and into my feet all the time. Yeah, Where's my go. mindfulness practice? There you, you know, go. Yeah. As these images are cycling through of like horrific, ghastly murder. Um, you know, Mike and I, we come, we 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 grew up uh, working in restaurants. Our older brother's chef. Um, we decided that we wanted to make food stories. The first show we got off the ground. Uh, it was a show for MTV called House of Food. Uh, the second show we got off the, round, the ground was a show for Amazon uh, called Eat the World with Emeril Lagasse. It was nominated for five Emmys and two James Beard Awards. We won uh, two Emmys for that. Um, it was really the show that put us on the map in terms of like food and travel producers. Um, the other category, a uh, big category for us is comedy. So one category is food slash travel. The other big one for us is comedy. And the reason why comedy is because my twin brother, Mike, who is absolutely brilliant as a storyteller, also spent several years as a stand-up comedian. Uh, in fact, he came out to LA to be a stand-up comedian. He developed the ability to get up on stage and eat shit every night uh, until, <laughs> right? Until yeah. he stopped eating shit and he started making people laugh. Like what a yeah. great thing to do. Uh, decided eventually that he was, uh, he was much more uh, energized by uh, writing and producing and directing than he was getting up on stage. But that formed the basis for the rest of his career. And in fact has created 
an incredible category of content for us that we just love to develop within. And it's the kind of, you know, the un, mostly unscripted comedy space. Yeah. Let's talk about a couple of the shows you guys have. Um, Shape of Pasta is on, is streaming, I should say, right now on Quibi. Um, tell me a little bit about that show and also your experience with this kind of, you know, wacky new platform that is Quibi. You know, one of the other categories that I failed to mention earlier about, um, you know, that, that we try to push shows that we create through the lens of this third category is who are our buyers? What's mm -hmm. our market? We love, absolutely love working with streamers. Uh, for whatever reason, streamers are infinitely more respectful of the creators, of the vision. Um, they're not, uh, they're, they're certainly not beholden to legacy brands, right? Uh, yeah. Oftentimes there is no real legacy there. Uh, certainly with Quibi, there's no legacy. They, of they course. launched out of, you know, out of thin air, right? At $2 yeah. million dollars worth of thin air. But um, thin air nonetheless. You know, so Quibi for us was an extraordinary opportunity. We were able to create a show based around a chef by the name of Evan Funky, who is, you know, truly like an unscripted producer's dream. This is a guy who runs a restaurant called Felix in Venice. He is widely known amongst the culinary world as a, uh, a maestro of pasta making. Uh, what does that mean? Well, in essence, this guy just, he's dedicated his life towards the preservation of the old ways of making pasta, especially handmade pasta. So when he had seen a show we did, uh, he had seen our show, Eat the World with Emma Lagasse um, on Amazon, and his manager reached out to us, and together they said, listen, we don't want to do TV, but we like what you guys do. Nice. And we, we said, well, so but we don't write books, and we're not, we don't have a podcast, so how are we going to do <laughs> what we do? And he said, I don't know, but let's, let's try and figure it out. And we were all in. He's an incredible character. Um, he looks like a, a, a blacksmith. Um, he's this lovable bear of a man with a big beard, bald head, and these just piercing, gorgeous, thoughtful blue eyes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, dude, he, his whole life is dedicated towards the preservation of these pasta-making techniques. Somehow... Uh, Quibi paid us to go to Italy each episode and follow Evan as he learned a new technique from a new Nona, which means grandmother, um, who were like, you know, these Nonas are the last uh, masters of these pasta shapes that are going to die off unless someone preserves them. And that's what Evan Funky's trying to do, and that's what the show does. How much pasta did you eat when you were in Italy? Uh, I don't know exactly how much. Uh, but I can tell you that I gained 10 pounds in two months. Uh, and, you know, for a dude that doesn't eat a lot of carbs, um, yeah. eating that much, much pasta in that amount of time was extraordinary. <laughs> I loved it. I loved every second <laughs> yeah. of it. I can't imagine. I want to ask you about Top Elf, which I think is a brilliant idea. It's great for kids it's great for families like I, I emailed you and your brother right away when i saw the announcement like it's just it's that idea that you're like oh god why didn't i think of that um it's on nickelodeon which again a fantastic brand that we all kind of grew up with and i love seeing that nickelodeon is doing unscripted programming they're embracing kind of reality television they're working with people like you and mike um tell me a little bit about top elf how it's going what you were excited about with season one and maybe a little bit of what people can look forward to with season two. Well, we had created, Top Elf was one of the first shows that Mike and I created uh, when we launched the company. Quite literally, uh, within three months of launching Ugly Brother Studios, Mike and I took a step back and went, you know, we want to, we, we grew up loving Christmas and there's no new Christmas tradition for kids, really since uh actually the movie elf came out yeah right um yeah with will ferrell um and you know we thought what if we created a christmas 
competition series. And in fact, originally it wasn't created just for kids. It was actually created for families. Um, we actually sold the idea two times before we ended up getting it uh, on the air at Nickelodeon. What happened was um, people got really passionate about the idea, uh, put it into development. Uh, we developed materials around it and then Christmas would pass and everyone felt, and the, the two times we sold it before, people were like, eh, I'm not really interested in Christmas anymore. The show just kind of died on the vine, right? Yeah. Then, then our our old friend and extraordinary showrunner Rob Bagshaw, he 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 was showrunning a show for us at E called Funny Dance Show, stand up comics dance battling, and um, he he leaves that show, and he gets this huge job at Nickelodeon, running uh, unscripted for them. Rob Bagshaw heard the idea, saw the sizzle tape that we had created. We had revised it significantly over the seven years and brushed it off. And like, this show's brilliant. This should work. Brought it in. He bought it, um, developed it out for about three, four months. And we were in production that fall and delivering like five days out prior to air between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Uh, it was a blast to make. Santa's so cool, um, you know, and Nickelodeon was great with it. The kids, you know, everybody surrounding that project is absolutely extraordinary. We had a great time making it. We can't wait to, to do season two come on up here in the fall. Some people would be afraid to go into business with their brother. You know, I have two brothers. I can't even imagine being a business partner with them. What is it like to be business partners with Mike, your twin brother, and give me like the, the, the best experience of working with Mike and then like the nightmare experience of working with him? <laughs> um, well, you know, as a twin, um, you have a pretty significant advantage over the singles in the world uh, in that, you know, you constantly have this measuring stick, sometimes quite literally. Oh, he's a quarter of an inch taller and <laughs> seven years old. Um, but you have this measuring stick, so to speak, and the sounding board uh, that you can uh, rely upon as you grow, as you experience new things. Um, you know, whether you're three and we're in the backyard of our neighbor's house and one of my first memories, quite literally, is me thinking to myself, how old am I? And then I look two feet in front of me and there's my twin brother and I realize he's the same age as me. I'll just ask him. <laughs> and I said, how old are we? And he goes, three. And that's one of my first memories. Uh, so, you, you know, you really do have this incredible opportunity to be doubly as strong <laughs> doubly is a word um you know okay now cut to uh you know what uh 40 or so years later uh when we're launching this company together we've both experienced relative success in our individual um paths mike was had sold a ton of huge shows that became the most successful shows on several networks including you know true tv and other stuff and then I, of course, was this network executive. The biggest challenge for us was, you know, you know, he had uh, approached uh, the partnership thinking that it would be funny to make fun of me as a network executive a <laughs> lot in the early days. And my relationship back to that was rough. Like, because I was like, you know, I, I clearly had had a chip on my shoulder. Like, I, I could do this. Right. I can sell shows. I can create shows. I can make shows. What do you mean? Um, stop calling me buyer or network or, you know, making jokes about taking the second lunch, right? Um, yeah. The truth is, is he was, that's what brothers do. They can tap into uh, your, your most vulnerable spots and brothers can poke holes and, 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 and pick the scabs of those spots. And, drive you crazy on the other side of that is 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 you know is learning 
um, also, right? You recognize that maybe you're being too sensitive about certain things. Um, maybe this, you need to show more vulnerability than bravado. Uh, I think that's been a great lesson for me over the years in terms of working with my brother, as cruel and unusual as he's been at times. I've been equally cruel and unusual. Together we learn about ourselves and we come out on the other side stronger. And that is absolutely reflected in the darkest of times, right? So many folks out there that have business partners, a couple of years back, um, our father um, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. We were in business with a network that was very abusive um, as our father was dying in the hospital. Um, there were really bad things. Like this was before this, before everything kind of started to change for the better in terms of, you know, network execs aren't allowed to be abusive anymore. They're not yeah. allowed to say the things that they were saying back then. Um, and we were, this was like right before all that happened, we were in a horrible relationship that was going south really fast with this terrible network and this one particular network executive who shall remain nameless who was coming for us. But this, you know, it was a really dark time. Our dad was in the hospital and dying. Our business was under huge duress and great threat. And to be able to uh, look uh, uh, at my brother under those circumstances, as opposed to someone that isn't my brother, um, it gave me great comfort. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. This person has my back no matter what, no matter what we say and how, how, how much we bust each other's chops, at the end of the day, we're blood and that's my yeah. brother and there's no one that's gonna get my back like him. So I think we are at a significant advantage is the ultimate point. When you and Mike decided to start a company, I'm sure you talked a lot about, or maybe you didn't. How do we, you know, what kind of environment do we want, you know, and how do you guys go about creating a positive environment, a fun environment, a creative environment, you know, because you're right. You've said it before. I mean, it's stressful out there. It's complicated. Our business can be crazy. What do you might do to, like, make sure that people are, are happy or having fun at Ugly Brother? Such a good question. The, you know, look, one human's toxicity is another human's comedy. True. The subjectivity uh, of the world in which we live um, and the sensitivities that exist the folks around us uh, and for ourselves um, are such that I think um, what is required is a great deal of um, emotional intelligence, um, a great deal of um, humility with regard to how right you think you are versus how wrong you just might be. Um, these are all moving targets. For us, at the end of the day, um, I don't want to feel horrible when I fall asleep at night. Mm -hmm. And so we approach our business from a very selfish perspective, very selfish perspective. The ultimate in selfishness is to treat other people from a place of kindness and compassion because that kindness and that compassion comes back to you. I have been guilty of not being kind, of not being compassionate towards other people in my life and in my career. And I do not sleep well at night when I behave that way. In fact, look, dude, there's probably times when I wasn't super nice to you as a network executive because I was given a note that I felt really passionate and right about. And, you know, so for, for us to be able to show up every single day and forgive ourselves for what we did yesterday, um, try to be kind and compassionate today um, and push that up as the, uh, the guiding kind of set of principles for the business. I know I will net out being happier if I pursue those principles than I will if I pursue uh, success at all costs or rightness at all costs or power at all costs. I think that's what has happened in the the executive ranks certainly throughout the years uh, is it's a it's an engine this the system of being a network executive and all that uh, that surrounds that network executive 
certainly as a buyer, um, is, is engineered to create a demon if you allow it. When you have the world saying you're the man and you're brilliant or you're the woman and you're brilliant because they're trying to sell you shows, there's, some, there's something that can turn in a person. Sure. And I, I've seen that firsthand. I, I certainly personally have experienced that firsthand within myself. Don't get caught up. Don't get caught up. You know, what matters most? Kindness, compassion. Treat, treat folks well. And, and at least you'll net out on the positive side of the equation. I just want to end. I, I like to end the episodes just on um, what you're watching. If there's anything that you're watching out there that the audience should check out. Um, you know, I saw a doc series this past weekend called The Last Narc on Amazon that I thought was really cool. It was an inside look at this DEA investigation back in the 80s. Um, definitely something that anybody who likes, you know, kind of those, it wasn't, I wouldn't call it true crime. I'll call it more like an inside look at the DEA and kind of the CIA, that kind of drug war type thing, but definitely something cool. Is there anything you're watching that uh, you, you recommend to people? Yeah, I'm watching my children when I'm not working. <laughs> Hold on. Let me make sure that the audience uh, see if they can help you out with that. Um. <laughs> now, now you, Honestly, you, no. you just made uh, me feel guilty. You literally just made me feel guilty. So <laughs> I'm um, kidding. No, I'm not kidding. I, I, you know, what's crazy, man, about COVID? Uh, yeah, of course. I, you know, first of all, I watch everything uh, that I possibly can to educate myself on the marketplace. But the truth is. I think an honest response to that question at this particular moment in my life is that uh, I have three kids. I have an eight month old baby um, and I am in production um, full time right now. And I'm in pre-production on another series. And the, the truth is, is that any chance that I get to uh, be with my family and not have to note a cut or watch something that other people make, um, any chance that I get to avoid that, I, I take it. But that's my honest, honest to God response. It would have been very different if we had this conversation six months ago. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, Tim, thank you for, uh, for doing this. I really appreciate it. This is a great conversation. So thank you so much. Thanks, man. I love what you're doing. You've always been such an incredible producer. I wish you nothing but the best. And I hope we get to work together again soon. My friend. Absolutely. Uh, tell Mike I said hello. Okay, brother, I will. All right, man. Take care. Bye. All right. Thank you for listening to another edition of No Script, No Problem. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, download, and rate it with five stars. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. You can also write a question if you have one, and I'll answer it on the show. Email your questions, no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Thanks to Mike DeLay and Real Voice LA for the audio hookup. And thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.